LinkedIn presents. It does make things a lot faster and a lot easier, but it, it doesn't yet have heart. And so I think as long as we're appropriate in its use, like I, I don't know that I'm ever going to just have AI HR BPs, right? I mean, I think if I'm making a policy, if I want to draft a program, I think that's perfectly fine. And I might be even limited in my creativity and the application of it right now. And I think it's, it's folly to, to hold it at bay. So we have to embrace it and figure out how to use it responsibly. That was Harvard Business Publishing, SVP of Talent and CHRO, Angela Chang Simony. In this episode, Angela and I, we go deep and we go narrow. We talk about how the field of HR has evolved, the critical skills that are success drivers for a chief people officer navigating today's world of work. We talk about AI, we talk about belonging, and we talk about our shared love for community. And we talk about how many times she is pitched stories for HBR. So we'll be right back with that conversation and more right now. Amplify connects, develops, and empowers the next generation of transformative people leaders through HR Executive Search and the Amplify Academy Learning and Leadership Development Platform. Our executive search practice brings a modern approach to executive search by transparent pricing, unique access to emerging and established leaders, and onboarding advisory. Our Amplify Academy is changing how HR practitioners and leaders develop their careers through peer communities, the AI Learning Lab, and leadership development cohorts. Together, these platforms support our mission of building a better world of work by elevating the field of HR. You can learn more at AmplifyTalent.com. Now, on to the show. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Redefining Work podcast. I'm your host, Lars Schmidt. And today, we are going to be talking to Angela Cheng Simini. She is the SVP of Talent and CHRO of Harvard Business Publishing. And she has a long career and has worked in a range of growth organizations prior to that. And we're going to dig into a lot of that. So, Angela, Thanks for coming on the show. Um, I'd love to have you open with an introduction for the audience. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, you know, I think one of the things that marks my career is that it's, um, it's a hot mess. So I haven't been anywhere longer than three years. Um, I've been in startups. I've been in companies in decline. Um, I've been in high tech. I've been in nonprofit. I've been in CPG. I've been in professional services. It's been sort of all over the map. Um, but I think at the end of the day, it's kind of worked out for me. Yeah. Did you have a favorite sector? I mean, that's that's a lot of different domains. I'm sure they did you know, highs and lows with each. But does one stand out that was maybe the most fun or where you felt you could do your best work? Oh, you know, that's such a great question, because I like to tell new hires when they join Harvard Business Publishing that we're not making another widget that's going to end up in the ocean. Right. Because we're we're in the thought leadership space. But I really did like consumer product goods. Yeah. I liked seeing people, designers, create something out of nothing and then watching it materialized on the production line and seeing it on the shelf. That was really rewarding as well. So as you mentioned, you, you've worked in HR in a range of leadership roles, in a range of industries. What drew you to HR? What, what, how did you find yourself in this field to begin with? <laughs> um, totally by luck. So not a good science student. So kind of meandered towards business. And then my dad was like, hey, Cornell's got this really cool program. It looks like business-ish. And it turned out to be a human resources program. 
and I never looked back. Um, I think it taps into everything that I love doing, which is having really microcosm level impact, right? You can help a single person and that makes your day, or you can help entire organizations turn around like a big ship. Um, so yeah, I, I feel very lucky to have found my calling really early on. Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, obviously in that experience, you've seen a lot of change over the, the years in, in HR and obviously the last three and a half years, we've seen an astronomical amount of change, but your, you know, your perspective goes deeper than that. I'm curious, like, how, how do you describe the field of HR today? You're, you're, you're talking with a friend, an old friend you haven't seen for years. They're not in the field. They're like, well, how would you describe HR today? Like, what would be your response? So I think we are a business strategy, a strategist that looks at the organization through the lens of people. Yeah. So if you're a CFO, they look at it through the lens of numbers. If you're a product designer, right, you're looking at what need in the market can you fill. Um, I am told that what landed me this job was I said, I want to know the people as well as your CFO knows the numbers. Mm. And I can do that, Lars, because this organization is only 600 people. Yeah. So I don't know that you would ever see me as the head of HR for an organization with 10,000. I don't know that my brand of HR is scalable because I like to be close to the ground. Um, I think it informs my work and helps me have better impact. You know, it's interesting you say that. And I appreciate the self-awareness because I think there are um, the profile of a CPO at different stages of growth and existence is different. And there are certain people who really kind of specialize in a certain stage of growth, certain employee population and base. Um, there's others who are, you know, hyper growth and scale specialists, and they'll take you from a hundred to a thousand. There's others that are more enterprise, but you're right that the leadership style and the skill set isn't necessarily transferable at those levels, nor I think do people necessarily want them to be like, they kind of know that zone, that spot. Hey, this is where I thrive. I do my best work. These are the kind of roles I want. Yeah, exactly. And I, and I have been told that it's, you know, lots of things can be scaled, but values and culture are really hard, right? The further away you get from the people on the ground, the harder it is to really reiterate and reinforce what's important um, because you've just got so many layers in between. So for me, when I know that culture is so important, I just like to keep tabs on that and stay close to that work. Yeah. Well, I mean, let's talk about the, the suit. We kind of zoomed out your kind of macro take on HR today. Let's zoom in now and kind of talk about the, the CPO or CHRO role specifically. I mean, I think when you look at the complexity of the world of work today and not just the world, the world of work is bigger than HR, right? It, it's, you know, it's geopolitical issues. It's all kinds of conflict. It's social justice. I mean, there's so many components that impact the world of work that HR is a piece of, but it's not everything. And, and to be successful in a CPO role today, you got to have your, your handle on everything to an extent. You know, you have to have a range of data inputs that help you understand the world around you and how that might impact your talent strategy and your, your business and your organization. Um, as you mentioned, kind of the, you want to know the people like the CFO knows the numbers in a CPO role today, you have to have a sense of the financials like a CFO might. You have to have a sense of the go-to-market strategy. You have to have a sense of Absolutely. the market positioning. And so you have to really deeply understand your peers on the C-suite's worlds in ways that nobody really needs to know yours. And that's why I think it's maybe next to the CEO, the most difficult job in the C-suite. But I'm curious to get your perspective. Like when you think of the, the success enablers for a CPO in today's world of work, what are those in your view? Well, I mean, I think you, I think you already hit the nail on the head, which is um, 
I am um, one of the rare enterprise functions that attends every business financial review. Um, so you don't see our IT guy, and I'm not throwing anybody under the bus. Um, you obviously see the CFO, but you don't see our marketer. You don't see our comms person. Um, because I want to make sure that our people are equipped, um, that they're seeing around corners, that our managers are skilled to handle whatever changes come down the pipe. Um, and so I think I have to first and foremost establish my credibility as someone who does understand the business. The other stuff, quote, the other HR stuff is just those are the specialist competencies that I bring. But I, first and foremost, the CPO has to be seen as someone who understands why we exist and what good looks like. Yeah, that, that makes sense. I mean, look, all of your programs are designed to foster and support that. So if you can't name it and describe it, uh, that's probably going to be a bit of a challenge. And then it just looks like I'm pursuing my own agenda, right? I'm just off doing an HR program that's not tied or has impact on anything else. It has to be, it has to be absolutely tied to the overall strategy, and that's, that's the quickest way. Let's see. You now you joined Harvard Business Publishing uh, roughly two years ago, I believe, and it was during the, you know, the 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 swelling tide of the Great Resignation, right? Of the period. It was. That's so you. You know, you I imagine you had lots of opportunities. You could have done lots of different things. You chose Harvard Business Publishing. Why? Like, what was it about the organization that that pulled you in and caught your attention? Yeah. So. It is amazing. I'm surrounded by, by people where all day long we just get our geek on, right? I mean, HBR is sort of, you know, the center of our universe. And all the research and the thinking that comes out of that is around organizational agility. How do you get the best out of your talent? I mean, we also touch on lots of other things, macroeconomics and supply chain issues and um, DEI. I mean, all of that is sort of what gets me up in the morning. So I'm, I'm with editors, I'm with publishers, I'm with learning product designers. Um, I mean, everybody touches this world. And so at any given time, down any corridor, on any Zoom call, I'm talking to someone who's deeply passionate about this work in some way. Um, and I haven't found that anywhere else. I think it's unique in that way. You know, I'd love to get your perspective on something because I, you know, I, before I launched Amplify, I also worked in media. I ran talent innovation and NPR. And, you know, like... HBR, you know, NPR is a storied institution and a very strong and well-established consumer brand um, that many people assumed that that, you know, consumer brand just translated to their employer brand and it dictated what it was like to work there. And I, you know, I wasn't really sure. And I got there, I was like, whoa, like we don't have a lot of resources. <laughs> we don't have a lot of budget. This is like, we are MacGyvering our way through this, which I'm cool with MacGyvering. Like that's kind of my comfort zone. But it was just there was a, a, a somewhat of a jarring disconnect for me right when I got there of that that consumer brand and that employer brand not really aligning. And I'm curious, like, what was your obviously HBR is a storied institution as well, and you know known for very rigorous, you know, academic, deeply detailed and thorough uh, reports, stories, uh, you know, long reads on a range of topics. Um, you know that how does that mesh or not with the internal culture and the employer brand once you got there? Ah, uh, so I'll speak about the HR function first. Um, it was definitely a case where the cobbler's kids didn't have shoes. So we would publish all this great stuff around best practices. We have a whole division of HVP, which is basically professional services arm, and we work with the Global 2000 to help them develop their own leadership programs. And so we were selling all this content. We were telling them how to be great leaders, and we weren't quite doing that for ourselves. 
So in the year and a half that I've been here, we've completely built out a new career pathing program. We are in the middle of launching a brand new performance management system. Um, so I'm trying to be as much best in class, if not creating best in class here, because how do we tell other folks how to do that if we're not doing it for ourselves? So that was probably the biggest disconnect. Um, in some ways, it made my mandate a lot easier because people were like, yes, yes, you need to go do those things. So it was easy to get by in. Um, but that was probably the most startling thing was how different it was internally from what we've been teaching others outside. Yeah. I mean, look, that's a really smart business case to make is how can we be <laughs> positioning, you know, all of these great practices of the world if we're not doing them internally. So that, I mean, yeah, yeah, kudos for uh, for that, <laughs> <laughs> that positioning for budget and funds to support a, uh, a, a progressive HR operating system. Um, Angela, we're, we're going to do something new. Are, are, are okay. you game? I'm asking you to do something, Gabe. You don't even know what this is yet. This is something I've been thinking about the podcast that I've just never done. And I feel like now is the time. So, Oh, boy. All right. Guinea pig status. Get Let's go. <laughs> okay. We're going to do word association. Okay. I am going to present to you different uh, HR. I wouldn't even say buzzwords because that's a negative inference. And these aren't necessarily negative. But uh, HR terms, people terms. And I want you to respond with the first word that comes to mind when you hear the term. Sounds good. Sound good? All right, let's do it. Okay, right. ready? Okay. Yeah, here we go. Uh, we are going to open with future of work. Uh, AI. Mm. Uh, next is belonging. Rewiring. It, it requires a rewiring of the organization to really do it right. Uh, Skills-based hiring. About damn time. <laughs> I'd like to see this is going to become a staple of the show. Thanks I love to your it. Yeah. Uh, pay transparency. That's and, and, and a footnote on that. We actually got together. So we had the opportunity to right. uh, be on a panel together at Transform in Vegas in March uh, with a discussion on pay transparency. So this is almost a loaded question because I kind of know what you think about this, but, <laughs> but I'm going to use it anyway. Pay transparency. Equality. Um, AI. Scary, right? Um, we just don't even know what the unintended consequences are. I know you asked for a single word. That was more no, than no, no. You can, you can, you can be because some of these are like terms, phrases. We're making the rules as we go here, so don't worry. <laughs> yeah, good. it doesn't be a single word. That's fine. Yeah, really, really scary. I okay, uh, and human capital. Um, always going to be better than anything else that comes along. Oh, okay. That may be a debate. That's my least favorite HR term. Oh, okay. Well, I, mean, yeah. I should say not, there's lots of bad terms. My least favorite term for the field, like describing the function. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah. No, so I, I clarify. Yeah, no, I hear you on that. I guess I was focusing in on humans. Yeah. Right. I mean, I think we have to say human centric. Oh, for um, sure. For and sure. if we understand the value of that quote asset, yeah. um, then, then we're going to be okay. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. Like, I think, uh, you know, humans don't want to be capital, just like humans don't want to be resources, right? So I think it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's. I, I, so what you would know. you call, I mean, you just wrote a book. Yeah, I HR. Did. What would you call it instead? You know, I, I like, uh, I like people and I like talent and culture. Um, those two. And again, I'm not saying that, you know, you can't use HR, use whatever you want. I mean, it was uh -huh. funny when I wrote, when I pitched the title for redefining HR to my editor, you know, they were like, oh, do you mean so like calling it something different? I was like, 
no, no. I'm like, this, this book is about the mindset. Like, I don't yeah. care. Like, call yourself. I, I was just like, I pick on human capital because I just, that, I, that term just doesn't sit with me. I was like, call yourself what you want, but it's more about the mindset of like how you serve the business and the employees, how you think about, um, you know, bringing empathy to your work, how you think about being, you know, creative and agile and just all these things that historically weren't really terms we used to describe the field, but they definitely are now. And so, yeah, it was, it was interesting. I think that that created some confusion. I think when the book first came out, they're like, well, what should we call ourselves? I'm like, oh, whatever you want to call yourself. Right. So. Well, that's so interesting. I mean, I think I'm in the same camp, which is, I mean, I'm sticking with HR because people generally know what that is, yeah. but then through our actions and our strategies, we can show people what it can be. Yeah. Let's, uh, I want to come back to AI for a moment because yeah. it's a topic I've been spending a lot of time on. And when you say, you know, scary, I get what you mean. And I, but it, it's one of those things where it's like, yes, it is that, but it's also like so exciting to think about how like seismically it can change our field, our work, our impact, and how soon it is here. Like, I think a lot of people in our field don't realize how soon oh, this absolutely. is here, right? And it may, yes. maybe they have fatigue because, you know, HR tech vendors have been talking about AI for years, but I don't think that they understand this, this kind of consumer grade generative AI that's in front of us right now and the powers that that can bring us if we learn how to master them. So I'm curious, like, you know, especially as a, as a CPO, you, you've got a lot on your plate. You know, you, you've got, a, you know, an amazing amount of responsibilities internally, you know, and externally. I mean, all of that. What are your thoughts on AI and kind of as a CPO, how do you make time to understand, begin to understand it, begin to experiment, begin to form opinions around how it may or may not impact your world? So I'm definitely asking my team to play around with it. Um, so our OD team, um, our employee experience team, and we're just using it even in just really small ways. So I'll give you an example. Um, you know, coming Memorial Day, we're going to go to half days on Fridays. And we've historically called it Summer Fridays. Well, we've got employees in Australia where from May to Labor Day, it's not summer. So I prompted it to come up with a different name, and it spit back Flexible Fridays. So that's what we're going with. Um, and I was like, ah, oh, how could I not have thought of Flexible Fridays myself? And someone on my team said, well, yes, but you're the one who recognized that it wasn't inclusive enough to call it Summer Fridays. Like, that's not something AI would have come up with. So it does, it does make things a lot faster and a lot easier, but it, it doesn't yet have heart. And so I think as long as we're appropriate in its use, like, I, I don't know that I'm ever going to just have AI HR be peace. Right. I mean, I think if I'm making a policy for I want to draft a program, I think that's perfectly fine. And I might be even limited in my creativity and the application of it right now. And I think it's it's folly to to hold it at bay. So we have to embrace it and figure out how to use it responsibly. HR leaders today are under immense pressure to deliver results for the business, navigate new social and business climates and build adaptable people programs built for these dynamic times. We're often asked to do more with less. The new world of work requires new ways to learn and develop our capabilities as HR and people practitioners. The Amplify Academy was built from the ground up to help people leaders efficiently and effectively connect with diverse learning needs for today and tomorrow. The Amplify Academy provides you with highly curated resources, exclusive content, courses, and a community designed to help people leaders effectively support your organization and each other. 
There are two components to the Amplify Academy, the Amplify Academy Learning Lab and Community and the Amplify Academy Leadership Development Cohorts. The Learning Lab and Community includes an AI learning platform that includes a range of courses, resources, templates, presentations, reports, and more to support the learning needs of today's HR and people practitioners. The Learning Lab subscriptions also include access to the Amplify Academy Slack community, a purpose-designed community to help you build your network equity and connect, collaborate, and grow your network with peers around the world. The Amplify Academy cohorts are four-week immersive peer learning programs designed to help you build the leadership skills and network you need to lead successful teams in the new world of work. Cohort students learn from world-class guest instructors with past instructors including Katie Burke, Katarina Berg, Lynn Oldham, Pat Waters, Claude Silver, Nellie Peshkoff, and so many more. Want to supercharge your people team? Be sure to check out the Academy for Teams product. It's designed to give your people teams access to all 450 plus resources in the learning lab and build their network equity in the Slack community, as well as their leadership ability in the Amplify Academy cohorts. You can learn more about all of this at amplifytalent.com slash academy. Now back to the show. Yeah, I mean, look, it's interesting. I think when you, uh, and even, in the, you know, when it comes to generative AI, there's so many different use cases, not just kind of text and questions, but we'll narrow to ChatGPT for a moment uh, or, or similar platforms. You know, it's not going to give you that turnkey answer that like, you're not going to say, you know, create an outline for a board deck and then just copy and paste that and send that to your board. Like that's never going to happen, but you will be able to prompt it. And again, I think learning there's, you know, whole fields around prompt engineers now, like learning how to ask it the right question the right way will actually give you something that it won't be turnkey, but it'll be a pretty good foundation that you can tweak. And so the way that I think about these tools, especially ones like ChatGPT, is if you use them smartly, they give you a running start. Whatever it is you're building, you're not building it from scratch. You want to write a policy? Correct. You don't, you don't need to spend an hour on Google and find a bunch of all that mash them together. You can ask ChatGPT and like, yes, you'll need to tweak that. And but you can do that if you want to, you know, you revamped your mission, vision and values and you want to redo your career site with copy that reflects them. It can help you do that. Is it going to be turnkey? No, but it's going to give you some pretty good ideas. I, I don't know, Lars. I, I, let's let's come back in six months. So we had it write um, an article in the voice of HBR. Yeah. And then we beta tested it. We went out to our readers and we said, which one do you prefer? So we had one that was written by one of our authors and then we had one that was bit. And it was sort of split like, wow, the content that was written by Gen AI was easier to digest because it wasn't so academic. Um but it, by, by the same token, they're like, it also felt a little robotic. But the core of the content was right. And it did sort of sound like HBR. They're like, if you just told me this was a draft of a copy going into HBR, they'd be like, I'd buy that. Like, I get, like, because they got the takeaways from it from both that were the same. So who knows? I mean, it's getting behind our paywalls, it's scraping our content. Um, so, with enough experience, it could start to sound like one of our authors. It's too soon to tell. It's it's really interesting. I mean, and there you know there are all also risks that as we talk about this, we have talked. There's lots of bias um, yes. that is incorporated into you know it's it's a uh, it's not smart. It's scouring 
the open web and, and LLMs to basically make its basis. And that content that it's scouring is full of bias that it is now serving up to you. So you, you know, you have to take all of that with a grain of salt. That's why I, you know, reinforce like, yes, use these tools. No, don't copy and paste. Uh, you know, do <laughs> do your right. own like editing that's assessment. Right. But yeah. uh, again, like I, the best analogy I can think of is like, it'll give you a running start on so many different things. And in HR, like our plates are full. If we have a tool that we can, you know, help us to get a running start in a range of different areas, like that is a tool you need to figure out how to use and how to incorporate. Um, back to HBR. How many times do you get pitched stories in a month? Hundreds. Yeah. <laughs> Hundreds of times. And so we're trying to find one of the things that we're really working on in terms of DEI, Lars, is trying to identify new voices. So we've got a cadre of faculty at HBS that are just super prolific, but we're trying to encourage junior faculty, folks who are coming up through the ranks, who maybe have a kernel of idea but haven't quite completely massaged it to maturity, but we want to hear from them. We also want to hear from voices that maybe don't think of themselves as authors, um, but they're out there changing the world because that's what editors are for, right, is to turn stuff that isn't well-written, find the diamond in the rough, and turn it into something that's really brain-busting new. Um, so hundreds. And during COVID, I think when people were sitting around with not a lot to do, we spiked to like 500 a month. And we're now back down to about 150, 200. I can imagine. And I mean, I'm, I'm sure there's also some people who are like, hey, maybe I should write a book. I'll just go ahead and pitch HBR. <laughs> like, yeah, like, exactly. ah, you, you can maybe start somewhere else. Maybe, maybe your second book, maybe your third book. I we mean, send them you know. to Yale. You know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, I feel that's a that's a that's a dig there. I, I appreciate the uh, I appreciate the infighting. Um, you know, next question for you, HBR. As you mentioned, uh, you know, hundreds and hundreds of really strong uh, articles and stories and resources on our field. Um, do you have a favorite? And and I won't limit you to one because that may not be fair. Like, are there three, one to three maybe that stand out to you that when you read them, you're just, you know, it just kind of blew your mind and maybe, maybe articles that you continue to reference. So one book um, that I was reading was uh, Net Positive and it's about ESG and, and CSR. And what, I guess what astounded me was that it's really only the very big companies that can make a difference. And so at, at once I was like, oh, so a small startup with 25 people aren't really going to do anything with their carbon you know, footprint that's going to matter, even if none of them travel, even if they never print anything on paper. It's really sort of the 1% in the world that are really going to have a net positive impact on climate change. But having said that, I don't want to disempower people to feel like they shouldn't be recycling, they shouldn't be switching to EVs, they shouldn't be turning off the water when they brush their teeth. Um, but that was a real aha moment that, as is often the case, the power to change, the power to do good is isolated in the few. And when they are irresponsible, the whole thing can really go off the rails. Yeah. Um, so that was, that was a pretty sobering read. Um, what else do I like? Uh, the first 90 days? Right. How do you quickly come up to speed in an organization? Lots of good kernels. And in fact, it's a book that we hand out to our new hires to help them accelerate their journey. Um, and I'm trying to think. One that I haven't gotten yet to is um, Ginny Rometty's, and I'm blanking on her name. I think it's Good Power. She just released a book. She was the former CEO of IBM. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, but that is on the bestseller list of the Wall Street Journal right now. And it's her story about, um, about doing good with leadership. 
Well, I mean, you have uh, no shortage of reading materials. Uh, uh, so much, too much, <laughs> and too a back much. catalog that is still still very vibrant. So, um, yeah, I mean, and for those of you, I imagine if you're watching this, HBR is on your radar. But if it's not, make sure it is. Bookmark it. Join the newsletter because it's just consistently great content. The bar is just at a level that you will always learn something. You'll always have a new way to think about um, uh, an existing issue, maybe in a way that you hadn't thought about before. So I think just the the thought-provoking nature uh, of it is something that I've always really appreciated. Um, let's shift gears. I want to move to a kind of another topic that I know we're both passionate about, and that's community. Um, and, you know, you've taken us through some of the professional aspects of your background in terms of where you've worked, but there's definitely a very strong community aspect to your background as well. You know, founding members at uh, uh, Troop HR. Um, I know you're an advisor for Semper Vierens, um, Chief, uh, and, and many others. So clearly community is important to you. And I'd love for you to just take a minute and just talk about the role that community plays for you as a CPO and how you lean on community to be more effective in your role. That's a really, really good question, Lars. I think there are two things that sort of happened in my life that caused me to sort of really think long and hard about what community means to me. One is the pandemic. Um, and the second is just sort of shifting into this stage in my life and my career where I really feel an obligation to give back. And so I've been doing a lot of speaking and a lot of times the folks in the audience are early career. And a lot of times they are young Asians who didn't have a role model. I didn't see a lot of executive Asians. And so whenever they come up, I accept their LinkedIn invitation because I'm happy to make time for them um, to help them see what's possible, right? Because if you can't see it, you can't dream it, is what people say. And so when I joined Chief, it was, yeah, to learn from other female executives, to understand how they're balancing it, to say it's okay to not have it all because that's really just kind of a myth. Troop HR, um, Tracy Avon is the founder. It's a small, intimate community of people who are trying to do all sorts of amazing things, often bootstrapping it. Um, so sharing best practices there has been really powerful. And Ascend Leadership is another one. It is the largest pan-Asian professional network. And again, it's helping advocate and lift up Asian professionals, um, regardless of sector or career stage. So doing a lot of giving back right now. And it's been incredibly gratifying. And particularly through COVID, where it was so easy to feel isolated, I felt throwing more of myself out there would give me more returns. And it certainly has been paying it back in spades. Yeah. I mean, it's been, I appreciate you sharing kind of your perspective and your own journey and kind of what drew you to those different organizations and just community in general. You know, I think that this, this overlap of the rise of open source with the rise of community happening simultaneously, and then obviously going into the pandemic and that just blows both of them up. It's such an interesting time to be in this field because I think, you know, not long ago we had a war for talent siloed you know, mindset in NHR, right? Is like, I can't help you. I'm competing with you, which is always bullshit. But I think, especially now, I think we've moved beyond that. And, and it's so easy, even if you're a, you know, HR department of one in, you know, Des Moines or Manchester or Nairobi or wherever it may be, you can plug into different communities, different resource libraries, different open source tools. And what's great is I think, you know, a lot of the chief people officers that I interview on this podcast 
are personally big proponents of, of open source. And they're often sharing what they're doing, what they're learning. Here's a template. Yes, uh, yes. I totally screwed up doing this thing. And here's how <laughs> I screwed up and what I would have done differently. So there's just this wealth of information that isn't theoretical. It, it's practical and it's real. And so I think it's just such a special time for the field because we have access to that. And most importantly, like, our mindset has shifted. We, we embrace that. We know that that's what's going to propel the field into the future. Yeah. The generosity has been astounding. Yeah. yeah. There's, there's not a lot of, I didn't write it, so I'm not going to use it. Um, yeah. And so that's, that, that, that has really helped us keep pace, right? I mean, I, I think HR has not always been seen as a progressive function, um, but I think we're really showing our chops and showing up that way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Angela, it's been amazing learning about your your career, your background, and your work. Uh, we close every episode with a lightning round to help the Redefiners get to know you a little bit better. <laughs> so you ready for that? All right, let's do it. Okay, we kick off with music. Uh, so what are three artists that you have been streaming on repeat lately? Oh, my gosh. Okay. Um, Justin Bieber? Is that okay. weird? No. <laughs> um, no. And um, I'm revisiting Elvis because I watched the movie. Okay. And um, I'm discovering a lot of um, folk music from Taiwan, um, okay. which is where my folks are from. Oh, very cool. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, next, I'd love to know, what is bringing you joy lately? What is bringing joy? So my son is getting married at the end of the month. Oh, uh, congrats. Um, thank you. And it is going to be the first time in a very long time when all of our families are going to be together. So, you know, on the subject of community, um, you got to treasure and cherish every moment you have. So even when we're in the office, right, it's a colleague I haven't seen in several months. That's special, right? Because I think he used to take that for granted when you saw everybody, you know, every day, all day. Yeah. And now when you can catch someone, you take the moment just to catch up and see how they're really doing. You're not just taking for granted that you're going to see them. And in fact, um, we've had two employees recently pass away. And both of them were really sudden. And the hole that they have left in the organization um, is gaping. And it yeah. really reminds us that, um, you know, just cherish the ones you're with. Yeah. Well, my condolences. I'm, I'm sorry that you and the team had to experience that. I can imagine how hard that's been. Yeah. Yeah. But, but also it's drawing us together because we're celebrating life um, and we're celebrating each other. So there's a silver lining. Well, that's good. I'm glad you can see it that way. Um, and you're right. Every, every minute is precious and none of them are guaranteed. So, um, yeah. particularly when you talk about, you know, the people that you care about and the family. So, um, last question for you, okay. many of the, you know, the, the listeners and the viewers, the redefiners out there are aspiring heads of people. This is uh, they, they aspire to be in a role like yours one day, maybe even at Harvard business publishing, uh, or, or elsewhere. <laughs> I'm looking for a successor. I'm not going to uh, do this forever, you know, Lars. <laughs> okay. Hey, you heard this. You heard this. This is the inside scoop. So if, that, if that's you, you gotta, you gotta hit Angela up. Um, but what advice do you have for them? What advice do you have for aspiring, uh, CPOs and heads of people? Ah, find your voice. Um, and be courageous. I think what has helped me be successful is my willingness to speak truth to power. Um, it is really, really difficult to hold up a mirror um, to people who outrank you, to people who outtenure you, to people who are frankly smarter than you. Um, but if you know what's right and you value protecting what's special about your culture, um, you'll have those conversations with people when they're working against that. And 
pulling them aside and having an honest heart-to-heart conversation so they know that you're an ally. Um, you share the same agenda, which is success for them, success for the organization, um, can really help lift you up because I think that's the power of HR, right, is yeah. really understanding how we get the most out of people, and that's creating a hospitable environment where people can feel valued and respected and bring impact. And I think they look to HR to do this. And when we disappoint, it ripples throughout the organization. So we've got to be able to do that with our head held high. Well, Angela, that's great parting advice. And we're going to, we're going to wrap there. So that's a a really great, uh, you know, wisdom for you aspiring heads of people to learn from your role as a truth teller. And that's often the very difficult uh, role to play, but that's the way that you're going to make a difference. And that's the way that you're going to be able to look at yourself in the mirror as well and and be proud of the work that you're doing. So yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Angela, thanks so much for coming on the show. I really enjoyed the chat. Um, we may have to regroup in six months on the state of AI. <laughs> That's where we are. <laughs> thanks, Lars. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Redefining Work. For more information on the podcast, past episodes, future guests, and more, be sure to check out amplifytalent.com slash podcast. And if you dig this podcast, I strongly encourage you to share it with your CEO, leadership team, and friends to help others discover it. And if you really dig this podcast, I'd love for you to leave a review on Spotify or Apple or wherever your preferred podcast delivery vehicle is. We'll see you next episode.